We are less than a week away from Thanksgiving, and the Capital Region got its first snowfall this week. November is flying by. Coming up on this episode of The Eagle, we'll go over the week's top headlines. I think you will in the future be hearing a lot of calls for the school to release the uh, results of the investigation that it conducted into this incident. World AIDS Day is coming up on December 1st. We'll talk to Kim Atkins of the Alliance for Positive Health about the current landscape of the 41-year epidemic. You know, people were were limited in their action and not able to go seek testing or treatment in a lot of places. So, uh, you know, COVID had a huge impact. And we'll get some Black Friday sale previews from shopportunist Shannon Froma. It's not the one single day shopping blitz it once was, but there's still going to be a lot of exclusive deals on and around Black Friday and Cyber Monday. They're just a little hush-hush at the moment. This is The Eagle, a Times Union podcast, a look inside our newsroom. I'm Jessica Marshall. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome to The Eagle. I'm Jessica Marshall. Okay, let's discuss what appeared in the Times Union and on timesunion.com this week. We are here once again with Times Union Editor-in-Chief Casey Seiler. We're going to talk the top headlines this week. We're back after a long hiatus, but here we are. Let's talk first about the fact that Amtrak announced that it was expanding service to New York City from Albany. What, what do we know about that? Yeah, um, adding uh, two more uh, round trip routes uh, over the course of a weekday, which brings the schedule back up to 12, which is only one fewer than what Amtrak was offering before COVID. That's obviously a good sign. The other good sign for people who want to go in the other direction and think about taking the train through the beautiful Adirondacks up to Montreal is that that line, which of course was was wounded by the pandemic, is likely going to come back in the first quarter of 2023. So I, I think you've probably taken it, Jess. The route up along the, the Hudson on Amtrak is probably one of the most gorgeous train rides in this country, without a doubt. You know, you Absolutely. go point, you go past all manner of uh, historic vistas. So it's really something. Absolutely. I've taken that route many times and it never gets old. All right. Next headline that we're going to look at, uh, state Supreme Court justice has awarded nearly $19 million judgment to a woman from California who had filed the lawsuit a few years ago under the Child Victims Act. What happened there this week? Yeah, uh, the remarkable case of um, Patricia Egan, who is now in her 60s and um, lives in California and brought suit under the Child Victims Act, which, of course, lifted the statute of limitations for previously time barred civil claims brought by um, the alleged victims of, of childhood sexual abuse. She brought this against a man uh, in his late 70s named Stuart Gordon from Fort Myers, Florida, 
and ended up being awarded almost 19 million, a really uh, remarkable verdict. And while Ms. Egan says that obviously this has brought her a measure of justice and certainly satisfaction, knowing that this case has been, you know, civilly adjudicated, it looks like it's going to be a long shot as to whether or not she is able to capture anything close to that full 19 million sum. Her alleged attacker has, uh, you know, who defends himself, but in a fairly weird way, he says he admits to certain acts of sexual abuse, but not others, points out that Florida has um, all manner of uh, protections available for residents from civil judgments that protect things like pension, retirement, savings, and in many cases, homes and property. The other remarkable thing about it is Ms. Egan uh, explained to Brendan Lyons that she really had trouble finding an attorney who would take her case because the perpetrator, the alleged perpetrator in this case, is not a large and deep-pocketed institution like the Catholic Church or, you know, for example, a school district that have, of course, been um, the defendants, named defendants in many Child Victims Act suits. But uh, ultimately, she was able to get one. Now, there have been legislative proposals to create a fund that would pay for legal representation for these types of civil plaintiffs. But uh, those are still in the legislature awaiting action. All right. You can read more about that story and our other reporting on Child Victims Act cases uh, at timesunion.com at our Capital Confidential section. All right, moving on. State University at Albany men's basketball coach Dwayne Killings is being sued by a former player along with the school's athletic director. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, Luke Fazulik, who, um, as Abigail Rebell notes, um, she is our UAlbany basketball beat reporter. Fazulik had been rumored to have been the player involved in the incident and using the proper term, is somewhat in dispute right now with uh, men's basketball coach Dwayne Killings uh, almost a year ago. November 24th, the team was on the road, and according to Fazulik's civil complaint, which was filed in federal court, he says that Killings, quote, violently and viciously grabbed him, threw him up against the locker, and struck him in the face, drawing blood. Now, Killings, uh, when this matter came to light back in the late winter, early spring of 2022, said that uh, the contact uh, was accidental and that uh, it was in what's known as a hype circle, you know, where essentially the team is um, is jacking itself up for the beginning of the game. Killings uh, was ultimately uh, investigated and sanctioned by the school. He was fined $25,000, which um, was going to end up as a donation to nonprofits. And he was given a five-game suspension. The five-game suspension, however, was kind of parceled out so that really a, a minimum, I think maybe just one real deal game ended up uh, with him not on the sidelines, which was looked at askance by some people, including the Times Union's editorial board. So, of course, this is just a civil claim. Fazula claims that the school allegedly made the decision to terminate killings and then backed off after 
Um, he hired a PR firm, which organized local uh, civil rights groups and businesses to rally behind him. Fazulik is white and Dwayne Killings is black. Fazulik claims that this um, uh, shows discrimination, which, of course, a federally funded school like UAlbany cannot be engaged in racial discrimination. So we will see where this goes. The school claims that it investigated this properly. I think you will in the future be hearing a lot of calls for the school to release the uh, results of the investigation that it conducted into this incident. Well, we'll be following that and great reporting by Abigail Rubel there. All right. One last story I want to touch on. Uh, if you've been on Facebook or social media lately, you might have seen this. People seeing this uh, visitor to the Capital Region, a very special visitor who came uh, to the Capital Region this week. The Wienermobile, <laughs> <laughs> which, which looks like kind of a cross between a bus, an old school 60s sports car and a hot dog. Um, it is a very course, distinctive, very exceedingly distinctive. Yes, indeed. And uh, Pete DeMola, uh, as the Wienermobile moved through Schenectady, you know, drawing eyeballs and crowds as it as it went, spoke to um, the two uh, drivers who travel around with the Wienermobile, Keegan Schlosser, who goes by the nom de Wiener, I guess you would say, Chili Cheese Keegs, and Chad Colgrove, also known as Chatter Cheese. So I've got to say, look, I love my job, but if I were a, a younger person unencumbered, I could think of lots worse ways to, you know, spend a fall than driving around this great country of ours in a promotional vehicle shaped like a hot dog. Yeah, it's really hard not to smile at those photos on timesunion.com. So check them out. I, I've seen it come by the state capitol and, you know, state capitol is not a place where you would expect to see a colorful uh, hot dog shaped vehicle but it never fails to bring a smile. All right. Thank you, Casey. We'll check back in with you next week. All right, Jess. Thanks a lot. As always, you can learn more about all of the topics and the issues that we discuss on this podcast at timesunion.com. For the past two and a half years, the COVID-19 pandemic has arguably taken center stage in the public health world. But as the annual recognition of World AIDS Day approaches December 1st, there's a push to keep the issues of this now four-decade-old epidemic in the forefront. The Alliance for Positive Health is one of the local organizations making this effort. It's a nonprofit that provides support and testing for individuals with HIV and other chronic conditions in a 15-county swath of upstate New York. I recently spoke with the Alliance's executive director, Kim Atkins, and here is a portion of our conversation. What are, you know, the Alliance's kind of top goals, priorities, thoughts going into this year's World AIDS Day? Let me just start with recognizing that World AIDS Day is a time to reflect on our response to HIV AIDS while we look at uh, honoring the lives of those we lost over 30 plus 40 years almost now. It's also time we renew our commitment to supporting the well-being of those who are still living with HIV and those who are at risk for infection. So 
one of our top goals is to continue providing our top quality support and integrated care to those living with HIV in Northeastern New York. And, you know, to those particularly living so much longer that they've outlived those that were part of their community growing up and, and living and have passed away along the way. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, isolation and depression and everything. So we are working to keep our clients connected. How did the pandemic affect what you do? Yeah. So the pandemic created an environment where few people came in for testing. They certainly didn't go to a lot of medical facilities, but they didn't come to us either for HIV testing or other kinds of testing that we do. So not that the pandemic really is lifted, but when things got a little more open, we had a rush for people to come in and, and get tested. But also during that period, it's you know reflected in the rates of sexually transmitted infections that's gone up in New York State, particularly syphilis. You know, people were were limited in their action and not able to go seek testing or treatment in a lot of places. So um, you know, COVID had a huge impact, but it also had an impact on some people who are. Uh, living with HIV who are in care and taking meds on a regular basis to keep their viral load suppressed. And, you know, across the whole state, there was a, a little bit of a drop off in people who were coming into care. If you can imagine somebody in a rural area trying to get to, you know, their medical provider and just the, the barrier of getting to the health facility and having to deal with all the protocols around COVID and everything and feeling susceptible to COVID and, and terrible thing because um, those living with HIV are f- more than four times likely to have long COVID. COVID affects people who have immunocompromised conditions and obviously HIV is a very serious one, but it also affects others. And so long COVID uh, had an impact on everybody. And, and for us, for those who have dropped kind of away from regular care, Our goal, one of our goals, uh, going back to that, is to get everybody who's either dropped out of care or who really wasn't engaged in care before into care so that we can improve viral suppression throughout the Northeast. What about the threat of the recent monkeypox outbreaks? How have those affected the people that you work with? Well, we'll call MPV or MPOX, which some people refer to as monkeypox, That has been a terrible thing for those living with HIV, too. Of those who have monkeypox, about 40% are actually individuals who are living with HIV. And the disease itself is more severe in those living with HIV and other chronic conditions. So it's one of our goals to reach out to all of those individuals in our area and provide them education and get them if they really should. And anybody living with HIV should get a vaccine. Um, And if we can get them to a place to get vaccinated, we will do that. We've been working with the Albany County Health Department and a couple of our other partners who do similar work, Pride Center, Interim Voices, and the Damien Center. We've been working with them to coordinate a public health outreach to high-risk populations in our area here. And, and of course, one of the challenges with that is it's, you know, it's Albany County Health Department, but the individuals are talking about travel 
and they are travel within the region. So, you know, we, we're, we are working through the bureaucratic barriers to getting people vaccines, and we've been pretty successful in doing outreach to um, those who are really disconnected from the usual systems. Can you kind of describe some of the other public health issues that, you know, you cover and you tackle um, as, an, as an organization besides HIV? We deal with emerging issues like MPOX is, is an emerging issue. And syphilis in particular in this area has seen a sharp rise. So we provide education about syphilis, uh, make people aware about the dangers. We do that for hepatitis C, um, which is something we see very much among those who are using substances. You know, it's been 40, 41 years now, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, since the start of the epidemic. Right. You know, a lot of advances in technology, a lot of advances in programs like what you deliver um, have made it, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but made it less of a death sentence and more of a sort of chronic condition to live with. I mean, how is that? How can you talk about that, you know, in the last 40 years and where you are today? I've seen it myself in services I've delivered uh, through my period of time since the early 90s and before we had any kind of treatment. And I think it's important to remind everybody that there is still no cure. There still is no vaccine. What we have accomplished are two really important things. One, a lot of advances in medical science that led to combination therapy Um, And that combination therapy used to be a lot of pills. Now, a lot of that's been reduced to one pill or two pills. And in some cases, there's new advances out there with some injectables that can be given that are not even every, they're not every day, they're every couple of months. And so all of these are advances in things and allow people options that fit their lifestyle better, but they're all treatment. So once you have HIV, you have HIV. And if you drop off your meds, um, you can be at risk for uh, your viral load to go up, for you to get sicker. Um, You know, you got to keep your immune system healthy at all times. So it becomes something that a person has to live with. Yes, they can. They can manage it. But what about issues of accessibility? Not everybody has the same access to care. People are stigmatized uh, for various reasons, whether... um, racial ethnic minorities, or they are LGBTQ, or they are substance users. Um, Many people feel disengaged from the system, and it's hard for them to get care that they need. And so there is a significant number of people. There are probably 600 people in the Northeast, some of whom don't know they have HIV, and another 300 who have HIV but are not engaged in care. Not all the providers are able to provide HIV care. I know it's been, you know, we used to have specialists. Now it's kind of become general primary care and people should be able to access what they need to, to to see a doctor. But not everybody's comfortable dealing with HIV patients. And in our area, long distances to travel to get that medical care. Um, So those barriers, those social determinants of health barriers still remain very strong. Do you think that someday there will be a cure for HIV and AIDS? I hope so. There have been a a few things over the last couple of years where people have felt like through whether it was blood transfusion, complete body transfusion, or some other advance, 
but there have been individual cases. And because there remain individual cases, it seems to me that I'm not sure what's really happened there. But I think that there is a, there's just this dedication to figuring this out that will help us. And I'm, what I really hope is that there is a lot more attention paid to immuno diseases overall. And I think we're learning about that through HIV and through COVID. After the break, Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, and Cyber Monday are upon us. The Shoppertoonist has us covered, though, with some tips on how to score some good holiday gift deals. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome back. You're listening to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm Jessica Marshall. If you think the big holiday shopping days, Black Friday and Cyber Monday snuck up on you this year, you might be onto something. The usual onslaught of advertisements for in-store sales, doorbuster deals, and online super sales has actually been lighter, according to our very own shoppertoonist, Shannon Proma. But that doesn't mean there aren't ways to save big on these shopping days. I checked in with her to get a preview. Let's talk about this Black Friday here. Is this Black Friday different from other Black Fridays that we've seen in the past? It is different. Um, it's been kind of evolving over the last several years, even pre-COVID. You know, now shoppers are bombarded with pre-Black Friday sales throughout November, October. And this year, I felt like it even started at the tail end of September. So okay. it, you know, it's a little diluted. It's not the one single day shopping blitz it once was. But there's still going to be a lot of exclusive deals on and around Black Friday and Cyber Monday. They're just kind of um, a little hush-hush at the moment. Well, that's mysterious. What can you tell us about some of the updates? Um, Well, I can tell you Amazon has kind of announced what they plan to do. Uh, Their Black Friday sale is going to start on Thanksgiving Day, probably just after midnight. It's going to last for 48 hours. Uh, They promise, you know, millions of discounts on everything from Yeti to... uh, Sweaty Betty, Pokemon, bows, a whole lot of different things. And they're going to drop big deals every 30 minutes throughout the two-day event. So that's kind um, of like Prime Day, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's just like Prime Day and just like the the Prime Day-ish event they held in October. So it's it, it feels like, you know, they sprinkle them throughout the year now. So it's not quite what it once was. Walmart is going to have their what they call their third event of their Black Friday season starting Monday. It's a season now. It is a season now, yeah. It's not just a day. It's not just a couple of days or a weekend. It's now a season. Yeah, so their their online event is going to start Monday, you know, a few days before Thanksgiving. Um, but they are still expected to offer, you know, exclusive deals in store on Friday. They'll open at 5 a.m. Um, Target's going to have kind of a similar format. They're going to have deals online throughout the day and then open their doors up to more offers. Now their stores are sticking to the tradition, like Kohl's, um, although they'll offer things online, they still plan to pop open their doors for people that still like to get out and shop with friends and family. 
<laughs> it is an experience for many people, for sure. It's, it's more about the experience itself, maybe necessarily. I think so, too. I think it's a lot about togetherness and just going out and seeing, you know, what sales you can find. And So what's the hot thing this year or things that people are after? I don't think there's anything in particular, unlike last year, where you had the PlayStation, which was like so impossible to find. Um, this year, there's no single big thing. It's just a lot of, you know, smart home devices. Televisions are really big again because they are so inexpensive. It's unbelievable. Um, you know, personal gadgets, you know, video games are still popular, you know, things like that. But there's no one, not that I've noticed anyway, there's no one or two things that everyone is just dying to get their hands on. Well, not yet anyway. I'm not sure. Yet anyway, but yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, even with toys, I, I don't have little ones anymore, but I haven't noticed anything that's like the must get toy of the season. You know, the same things are still popular, LOL dolls, Barbie, you know, things along those lines. All right. So, but, you know, given all of this kind of, you know, evolution of Black Friday, I should say in the last year, really, um, what are your top tips for navigating it? What, what would you suggest doing? Um, I suggest, you know, just doing a little homework in advance. Visit sites that will offer, you know, lists of online and in-store sales start times because you don't want to be late, um, especially to those online sales where items will kind of disappear rather quickly. So one of my favorite sites is really simple, blackfriday.com. They'll list start times for sales. So and they'll, as those Black Friday ads do start to come up, if they do, uh, they'll post those there as well. So I'd go on those store sites now, set up your account, make sure your loyalty programs are connected. Browser extensions are a really great idea because if you add a browser extension to Google, say, whenever you're shopping on a certain store, coupons and other discounts will just automatically pop up. What do you mean by browser extensions? Can you explain what those are? Store uh, companies like Retail Me Not, Rakuten, and Capital One Shopping offer what they call browser extensions extensions where you can install them, install on your computer. Um, so say you have it installed and then you go to Macy's and you're looking through Macy's and every time you like click on something or just the store in general, any available coupons will pop up. Any available cashback offers will pop up. It just makes shopping so much easier. Oh, okay. Great. That's a great tip. What else do you think people should know about Black you Friday? Another thing that I think is very popular this year. Um, maybe not popular, but it, you're going to see it a whole lot more are the buy now, pay later options um, at checkout when you're shopping online. There's companies like Klarna and PayPal um, that will allow you to basically finance your Christmas gifts. Retailers offer through these companies and they work like a traditional layaway plan. So you <laughs> fill your cart, you make your purchase and you basically pay a down payment and your pur purchase is split into four equal parts, interest-free, and you'll make those payments about every two weeks. And generally, they're like auto-drafted from your account, so you don't really have to do anything. It's a really easy way to spread out spending. It's convenient, but, you know, it's definitely worth um, making sure you're not going overboard because, you know, those smaller payments can mask how much you're actually spending, you know, and you don't want to be stuck with like, giant bills every two weeks, not realizing that you actually, you know, chose buy now, pay later for 40 different items on your Christmas list. Is this digital wave of buy now, pay later a new thing? It's becoming increasingly popular within the last, I'd say, two years. And it's, 
I think more and more retailers have their stores linked to these payment platforms now uh, more than ever before. So it's very common. Wow. All right. Well, (laughs) (laughs) it can be super convenient, but it can also be a bit of a trap if you're not careful. Yeah. Well, I'm just remembering this one episode of uh, Full House, I think it was, where, (laughs) where we were taught a lesson about buy now, pay later. But anyway, once Black Friday is over, you know, what do you see after Black Friday happening? Do you see some of these types of sales, kind of ongoing sales continuing? Are there going to be new things? What do you, what do you see? I think it's just going to continue. I think it's just going to be the same thing we've had for the last six weeks. Um, You know, it's going to be, you know, your Black Friday sale, then your Cyber Monday sale, then your, you know, countdown to Christmas sale and, you know, your last minute sale. Um, But it's, it's, it's always a win for consumers because this is the time of year when you can get deep discounts on not only everything on your Christmas list, but also things you just might need around the house. Like my air fryer. Right, exactly. Like I'm totally totally shopping for a new sofa right now. And I'm hoping that this is the time of year I'm going to really save. All right, that's it for this week. I'm Jessica Marshall. We'll be back next week with another look inside the newsroom here at the Times Union. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, or head on over to timesunion.com for the latest news and features. The Eagle is a production of the Times Union. It's produced and edited by me, Jessica Marshall, with help from the Times Union digital team and the newsroom. Special thanks this week to Casey Seiler and Shannon Froma for their contribution to this episode. And stay tuned, we've got a brand new podcast series by the Times Union that is debuting soon. Here is a taste of what's in store. It's been 15 years since 12-year-old Jalik Rainwalker vanished. His disappearance from rural upstate New York was ruled a probable child homicide. But no one has ever been charged, and his body has never been found. This is Rainwalker, the Lost Boy. I'm Jessica Marshall. And I'm Wendy Lepertor. In this podcast from the Times Union, we'll take a deep dive into this mystery, the case of a missing child that has unsettled New York's capital region and beyond for more than a decade. Coming soon, wherever you listen to podcasts.